Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 352 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 5th, 2015. If you write checks anymore, which not a lot of people do, make sure you write 2015 instead of 2014. First show of the new year. We've got a big show for you on the podcast. A ton of questions to get to. Tons of them. I can't believe it's just like, uh, I don't know, it's a huge week. I guess the, the bowl game's over. People want to talk about the team. So lots of questions to get to. We'll try to get to each and every one of them. If you have questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email or call us at 206-888-6755 or you go to our website, parastylepodcast.com and hook it up right there. We're going to have Coach Harvey Hyde bat second today. He'll be up a little bit later on in the show. We're going to have Dan Weber join us right now. Hey, Dan, how's it going, man? I hope you're enjoying the uh, quote-unquote offseason. Oh, well, not yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's still – I mean, I was watching uh, Arkansas State last night. Uh, the USC fans will get to see, uh, you know, next year. It's early in the year in the Coliseum, but they were playing Toledo in uh, a bowl game uh, attended by – I don't even think all the immediate family members uh, in Mobile, <laughs> Alabama. Holy criminy. Uh, there are – I mean, it's great for those teams, but, uh, you know, and I guess it gives ESPN three and a half hours of uh, programming. But, uh, man, if, you know, if nobody's going to show up and that game in Fort Worth uh, turned out to be, you know, an absolutely great game, but in the, the you know, the worst possible weather conditions and, uh, you know, you just think uh, maybe there are too many. I know it's everybody says that, but, but it's kind of fun to watch and, and you get a sense of, uh, of you know, who some of these teams are, especially if they're on your schedule next year. Certainly, yeah. USC fans get to check that out. And, of course, Trojan fans enjoyed the Holiday Bowl. And I think a lot of that, we got a lot of questions about that, Dan, a lot of questions about the bowls in general, the SEC, Pac-12, all kinds of fun stuff. So I want to jump right in here right away and get to these questions. We'll try to get to all of them, like I said, but we really do have a ton. I think it's a record number for a – I don't know, it's weird. It's like not even having like a big loss or something. Usually that's when we get the most questions. But we'll start off with uh, Kevin in South Orange County. He said, uh, and I think he's talking to me, you tweeted during the Rose Bowl that SC receivers should take note, take notes from the Oregon guys on how to block for bubble screens. And it prompted me to write in about something I'd been thinking about for a while. Made me think about our wide receivers in general, among other position groups. I've often thought they were supremely talented, but as an example, under T. Martin, There have been drop balls galore, false starts, poor overall route running, minus Robert Woods. Do you think this staff is great at, quote-unquote, coaching, uh, is a great, quote-unquote, coaching staff or a great, quote-unquote, recruiting staff? Seems to me they're better on the phones than in the classroom across the board. Any thoughts, uh, Kevin, in South Orange County? Hey, nothing like uh, sweeping generalizations for Kevin uh, (laughs) uh, and things you can't possibly know. I mean, uh, uh, I, I, my problem with the bubble screens is more the design uh, and the, uh, uh, you know, I mean, 
you want to watch out of block bubble screens and watch Nebraska or watch UCLA. I mean, they get a, you know, they get some size out there and they get you in, in numbers mismatches. And, uh, you know, there are times you watch USC and you think, Oh my, wait, there are more defenders out there than there are blockers. Uh, huh. How's that going to work? Or, or you watch Oregon where they did the John Baxter, you know, two point extra point and they come out and, and they find that, uh, uh, there's an overload on one side and they've got the advantage on the other side. So what do they do? Obviously they go to the side where they've got the advantage and, you know, two points just like that, you know, against Florida state. Uh, you know, that's how you do it, I think. But, but to start saying, well, it's, you know, this coach's fault or that coach's fault or, uh, you know, I, I don't think they run, you know, bad routes. I'm not so sure. I like this. Scheming in terms, I think they run the routes that they're given. I'm not sure uh, that I'm as crazy about some of. It. I mean, I yeah, I like the fact that Oregon, you know, when they they catch the ball, they're running routes where they're running, you know, north south, and they're running, you know, they're running for the end zone, and uh, they're not, you know, coming back to the ball three yards short of the first down marker and stuff like that. So. Uh, yeah, there are some issues, uh, but uh, but I don't know that it's uh, you know you're gonna put it on uh, you know they're better uh, recruiters than they are coaches and and all that. I, I think the youth of USC a little bit played into that. I think size played into that. I think that's why you're seeing uh, you know a couple of bigger wide receivers being recruited. Uh, I think that will will change the ability to run the plays. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see them run the bubble screens a lot better than they do. I agree with that. Yeah, he was talking. There was a tweet that I had done this because you see the Oregon receivers out there really scrapping and fighting to block, and you need that initial block or the the screen's not going to work. But I agree with you design-wise too, Dan. Sometimes it seems like the defense either knows it's coming or they have a mismatch out there, and it just didn't seem like that was the right play to go to even. No. Uh, and and you know, size-wise, you see, I mean, you see teams that run it, and they run it with bigger guys who really do engage, uh, you know, the defenders. And you don't see that as much with with the USC kids. They just, you know, uh, so I, I would like to see if we're going to stay with the bubble screen, uh, figure out how to really uh, get positive yards every time. It shouldn't be hit or miss. It should be one of those plays where, basically, you want the bubble screen to be an extended handoff. Uh, and uh, you got to run it like it's a running play, and, and you got to block it like it's a running play. And uh, I don't see enough of that. I, 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 no question about it. Uh, so we got a whole bunch of questions, kind of on the USC defense. So there was four kind of similar ones. I, I, I'll, they're short, so I'll kind of wrap them all together, Dan, and get your overall thoughts if that's okay. Um, sure. First one's Charles from Carson. Uh, Justin Wilcox should be watching the Michigan State game. Michigan State's currently. So he wrote this during the game. Michigan State's currently up with seconds to go. They are not playing prevent defense. They're blitzing uh, all out, not giving uh, Petty a chance to throw the ball. It's funny how simple it is. Interception, last play of the game. LOL, Michigan State blitzed again. Um, JJB wrote in, love the show. Uh, I, I read on the internet last year's Washington Husky defense, coached by Justin Wilcox, was fourth in the nation in sacks. Is that true? If it is, then what's changed? Is he running a different defense this year? Uh, Marcel and Diamond Bar uh, wrote in, after watching the first half of the Peach Bowl, the TCU defense plays fast and hard. I have not seen our defense play with this discipline, discipline tena- tenacious style all season. Is that due to coaching or personnel? 
And then the last one is John Patina. Dan's pretty connected. I think that Sark plays things close to the vest, but does Dan have any clues as it changes in what they're going to do on defense next year? If they don't, the staff could uh, all be looking for work next year at this time. So I want to lump those in together, but just kind of overall yeah. aggressiveness, yeah, I, I guess you could say. On yeah, I think a lot of it was, uh, it was, I think the Josh Shaw uh, being lost for, you know, the first nine games really hurt him. Uh, it 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 caused them to to not trust the secondary very much and and I, I I think they basically tried to just say can we play it safe every play and 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 the playing it safe I think it took the linebackers out of the game I mean Hayes Pillard you know I know there are people this year saying you know hey, what happened to Hayes Pillard. Uh, didn't look exactly like the guy you know we had seen all you know previous you know parts of his career where he ended up as the second you know leading tackler and and in a career tackler in history at USC and there just didn't seem to be as much movement they didn't seem they just seemed to be standing there and taking your best shot and hoping that it would be good enough and let's say in the Arizona game the guy misses the makeable field goal and so it was good enough. In Nebraska game, uh, you know, they get Aguilar on, Nelson Aguilar on the field. He knocks down the Hail Mary, so it was good enough. But uh, other games, it wasn't good enough uh, playing that way. I, I'm not sure you had all that much to lose by, uh, you know, by going all out and just saying, this is, you know, what we've got. We're going to try to stop you. We're going to give you a bad play, and we're going to, hope to give you a bad play before you make a play on us. And, uh, you know, did the Arizona State game scare him to death when Kevon Seymour, you know, in a, you know, the worst individual judgment of the whole year tries to go for that interception with no, no safety behind him and, and gives up the 73-yard touchdown that turns the season around. Uh, but, yeah, I, I – the fact that we didn't see much movement out of the defense, that, I mean, that there wasn't really an ability to get Leonard Williams involved as much as you would have thought that you could get Leonard Williams involved, that they basically, you know, played, uh, you know, played it safe, played it conservative, stood around, as you, you know, demonstrated when you studied, uh, you know, in your story on, uh, on blitz numbers, they basically, you know, took the blitz out of their, uh, you know, out of their, you know, defensive scheming. And if you were, for example, uh, you know, game planning against USC, you didn't pretty much have to game plan uh, against the blitz. So, you know, that made life a lot simpler if you knew they weren't pretty much not going to ever come. And if they were, they weren't going to do it well enough because they didn't, didn't do it enough that, you know, that's something you got to have a feel for. So, yeah, I – I agree. It's got to become much more active. They've got to become much more confident in the people they're lining up on defense. And uh, you got to go get people, and you got to stop them, and you got to give. For example, at the end of those games, those fourth quarter meltdowns, basically you had a team that didn't have enough confidence in its offense to get a first down, and didn't have enough confidence in its defense to give a team a bad play. And the two together, you know, resulted in a, in some of those, you know, just infuriating, uh, you know, losses in games where you clearly, uh, USC clearly should have won. So, you know, 
what that what that says going forward, I don't think we know enough from this year because uh, you know if you look at the uh, Nebraska game, I always thought the Nebraska game should be kind of the first game for next year when they had you know three weeks to to really get ready for it, and uh, and basically you could look at guys, freshmen, young guys who had had a whole season at twelve games. This would be maybe the beginning of the next year, but we saw much of the same uh, the same issues that we saw. Uh, you know, the rest of 2014 in the regular season, we ended up seeing them surface again in the Nebraska game. So I don't think we know. Uh, and it's hard to, you know, as we found out over the years, trying to outguess, you know, what would Lane Kiffin get it? What was he going to do? Uh, that's a hard thing to know because uh, sometimes the practices and what you see in practice isn't what you see in games. And so now you're, you know, you're trying to be a mind reader, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, as far as what are they going to do? Uh, but I think you're in the right place. They got to figure out what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, how they're going to be confident in guys that you hope have uh, taken this past year to, to really grow up and, uh, and have the kind of maturity that you can, you can trust them to make plays. And it's not just defense. You mentioned in the, the answer to that question about, you know, the inability to get first downs late in games. Um, so the offense is too. We, so we have a whole bunch of questions on the offense too. So I'll, I'm going to do these one by one. Those others were kind of similar. So I'll read you and then, and let you answer Dan. First is uh, Jeff and Silmar. He said, midway through the holiday bowl, USC ran a type of student body, right? These running plays were extremely successful. The tailback gained at least seven yards of carry. Nebraska simply couldn't stop this type of running offense for some unexplained reason. SC never ran this running play again, not even during the fourth quarter when we were hanging on for dear life. Please ask uh, Dan Weber what why they stopped running this type of play. Jeff and Silmar. <laughs> Again, <laughs> what we what we what came out of 2014 are questions, good questions. What didn't come out are answers, good <laughs> answers. Uh, yeah, I I would have liked to have seen them run that all year. I mean, a fairly quick uh, student body right. Uh, with teams uh, coming up the middle, teams trying to take, uh, you know, trying to get inside, uh, you know, starting with Boston College, you saw teams really trying to take that, you know, the A-gaps away from USC and really, uh, you know, pound uh, pound it up inside. And, and it, you thought, gosh, they can get the angle. They can get to the edge if they only would. And when they, di- when they tried, they did. Uh, you know, is it a case of having too much offense, too many – plays and you know it's not as quite as obvious uh you know from the you know the denny's menu that's gone that it's not quite you know that you know that was easy to focus in on with you know with lane that there were too many plays and too many that you know that you know you didn't get around to calling again or whatever but you're right uh i thought i thought that was there much of the year would have liked to have seen it much of the year they like pulling you know the guards are pulling uh max turk at center uh why that didn't happen more, I, I, it's really it's puzzling, uh, and we'll you know we'll have to see you know where this goes from here. But yeah, there were there were issues uh, that that you went away from things that really looked like they were there and in the games were there. Uh, no good answer. All right, uh, let's see. Next one we're going to go to Dennis in Lancaster. Uh, he said. Good win for the program, but another embarrassing fourth quarter offensive play calling once again by Kiffin 2.0, spelling Kiffin with an E, 
which is a pet peeve of mine, uh, that, that nearly cost us the game again. My question is, with only a few key players leaving to the NFL and great freshman uh, playing time this year, we are primed to have a great year next season. But do you think Sark has learned his lesson? Or we will be calling him Seven Win Sark uh, next year. Love the show and fight on. Uh, I think, you know, uh, <laughs> I wish I could tell you. I, I, um, I, I think it, it, we'll see. Uh, it'll be in the, you know, the, for example, I mean, there is a disconnect to some extent from a team that went up-tempo in the spring, really up-tempo when the players were running it in the summer, up-tempo in August, up-tempo for the Fresno State game, and then went to a kind of really not up-tempo at all for much of the season. Uh, and then they they went up-tempo again uh, for the, um, you know, the Notre Dame game. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of the games where they're obviously in good shape, you know, Colorado and games like that, Oregon State kind of went that way. But um, uh, I don't think we know. I don't think we know. I mean, there were there were issues. This, this staff was a new staff with uh, a numbers, and I, I liked it that they didn't use the numbers uh, in terms of the, the rationale that they talked about uh, but then they coached to the numbers. Uh, and so uh, we'll see. I mean, the fact that there will be clearly more depth, and, you know, I think there was more depth this year than there was the year before, but, the, you know, these coaches weren't here the year before, most of them. So I don't know that they, under, you know, completely understood that, that, you know, that they could get to game 12 in far better shape uh, numbers-wise, than Notre Dame, for example, that you know that there was a way to, and you could say, well, that's because they played the way they played, and 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 maybe that that's true. I just don't see how you can play that differently in the fourth quarter from the first quarter. I just think, you, you know, you've got your weapons, you've got your players, you've got your you know the things you can do. You have to keep doing them, and uh, you know you just. You can't go away from it, and it doesn't. It's not ever going to work when you try it. And USC tried it enough to know now it doesn't work. You can't keep getting. You know, six uh, six games they were shut out in the fourth quarter, out of thirteen. That's just that's ridiculous. I mean, this is a team that one of the you know handful of absolutely best teams in the country in the first quarter, and to go and just be. Uh, you know, a non-factor in the fourth quarter on offense. I mean, if you wanted to try to make the case that, oh, they were getting tired on defense, which the defensive players said absolutely was not the, not true. The year before, maybe. Not last year. Uh, but, that you know, when you've got the ball on offense and and you uh, put the brakes on, uh, that's just not going to work. And it's proven that, it, that it, it didn't. We'll see where we go from here uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the coaches, uh, you know, recognizing that, realizing that, and, and, and coaching to it. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say you, you know what the issue is, but it's another to actually go out there and do it under the pressure, you know, that coaching at USC uh, brings. All right. Thanks for that, Dan. Let's see. Uh, Juice in San Diego. He said, first off, Congratulations to the Trojans on a good win. Uh, I had a fun time at Qualcomm. With all this time to prepare, the play calling still looked like it had some problems. The offensive line looked strong, but they couldn't get receivers open many times. 
on uh, one third and long play late in the game. Kessler dropped back. Four players went out, three on the left and one on the right. The single receiver was well covered, and Kessler didn't really look his way. But the three receivers, one was tight end Bryce Dixon, all ran deep routes with a slight turn, sort of a post route, he said, uh, by the two inside receivers. In my opinion, as a former high school uh, cornerback and former DB coach, these routes are fairly easy for a respectable secondary to cover. Why don't we see more creative routes being called by the coaching staff? I believe Coach uh, Sarkeesian, Helton, and Martin need to consult with Coach Hayward to help design better routes. Do the coaches agree? Fight on and Happy New Year, Juice in San Diego. Yeah, I was surprised that uh, uh, you know one of the things you, you expect when you see a Big Ten team is they may not be able to to cover some of the routes they're going to see against a uh, you know a, a Pac-12 team. Uh, I know Nebraska had a reputation as being you know decent, really decently efficient uh, in a pass defense team, but that was in the Big Ten. Uh, but, you know, there were a lot of times where they, you know, USC run a pattern and it just didn't seem to, you know, have any chance of, of getting anybody running loose and free. And, uh, yeah, I think there needs to be some some serious, uh, you know, look, at, look into what were the patterns, what were they getting out of the patterns, what about yards after the catches, uh, you know, what – what are you know? What are some teams able to do, and that USC didn't always seem to be able to do, and yet then there were games when they absolutely were getting guys running free. Yeah, there was a, uh, and the Nebraska game was odd because USC started out grab bagging on offense. It didn't start out as confident offensively as as we you know normally you know seen them or we kept being accustomed to seeing them as as much as we saw them against Notre Dame, for example. They just they just looked off. I mean, this is after having really good practices and practicing hard and enthusiastically and, and couldn't wait to get to the game. And then, they, you know, they looked like, uh, you know, they're running stuff you haven't seen that much. And, uh, and it wasn't that, you know, successful. And they, they got their act together and, and got it going. And, uh, but there was, a, there was an issue, I thought, with, with some of the design of the pass patterns. And, and I hope they, you know, take more of a look at uh, where you can get guys catching the ball where they have the ability, you know, to run with it. I mean, watch, you know, watch Oregon, for example. How many of those guys, you know, catch it in in scenes where, you know, they're, you know, running full speed. And, you're, you know, you're life or death, to, you know, to track them down. Uh, you'd like to see more of that with uh, with USC's passing attack. And, uh so we'll uh, we'll see where that goes, but I don't think I think you're on the right right track, and I hope USC gets on that that same track. Uh, all right, we got uh, one more offensive question, I believe. Uh, there's just so many, so I'm trying to get through them all. Okay. Um, Martin in Ontario said, since Steve Sarkeesian was hired at USC, he said his offensive scheme is what USC needs to run to be competitive in the Pac-12. So far, uh, not what he said. I'm sorry, not what he said he was going to do with this offense. I think he's talking about the uh, the high-tempo stuff. SC is scoring, but not in the fashion of what he said it, it would be and how it would score. Uh, Wilson is the defensive coordinator. His, I think he means Wilcox. Wilcox. Um, <laughs> uh, Chris Wilson is the defensive line coach. Uh, Justin Wilcox is the defensive coordinator. His scheme has not been able to improve from Pendergast's scheme from last year. The defense has kept the offense in games on pure talent and not his scheme. Wilson's schemes look like 
uh, every other defense in the Pac-12. Just SC has more talent, and talent can get you so far. Wilson, sorry, he keeps saying Wilson. Wilcox has been pumped up as a defensive guru, but I have not seen it, and I believe the defense will not improve anymore with Wilson being defensive coordinator. Wilcox uh, being the defensive coordinator. So his question is, how long do you think Pat Hayden is going to give Steve Sarkeesian to make changes to the offense and defense before he looks for another head coach? A few more games the rest of the season. Is this season considered a wash already? It's possible that Pat Hayden could force Sark to hire extra coaches to help this, the current staff with schemes. That's Martin in Ontario. Well, um, you know, I, I don't think it's to that level. Uh, I think this is something that, that Sark is going to have to figure out himself. I mean, I, I think there probably were some serious questions asked, uh, you know, from the, uh, you know, the, the higher level, uh, you know, in the athletic department in terms of some of the game management situations. Uh, uh, I mean, this was the problem of bringing in a detention staff. Uh, the, you were going to go through this again. I mean, this is, uh, you know, three out of four years or whatever it was that you kind of had a, a new coaching staff somewhere along the way. Uh, and, uh, so it, w- it was a little bit more probably than, than you thought it was going to be in terms of the transition with the, the talent available that you thought the transition would be a little bit, uh, you know, smoother. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, whether it, you know, it's going to come down from Pat Hayden or not, I think, I think Sark himself has to be looking at this and Wilcox has to be looking at it, looking back at it and saying, you know, okay, what didn't happen here? Why didn't it happen? Was it all about we didn't have enough players? Uh, you know, they were too young. We had too many young guys, all of that. Uh, whatever the answer they get, uh, it still has to mean there have to be changes, you know, for this coming year. And Sark pretty much signaled that after the Notre Dame game with the, uh, you know, we're going to be tough and aggressive and demanding, and we're not going to put up with this and that. And that has to, I think, apply to the coaches easily as much as it is to the players. It's, it's the entire program that they can't, you know, be accepting of, of some of the things that, you know, happened this year, uh, you know, the lack of preparation for the Boston College game, um, the inability to make in-game adjustments, those kinds of things, uh, uh, you know, the, the – the, the vast difference between the way they approach first quarters and fourth quarters, uh, that all has to change. And I think they know it, and uh, I don't think anybody has to tell them that. Uh, gosh almighty, you, you hope they they really, really understand that. Uh, it's hard to imagine that they couldn't. But, uh, but, you know, it has to happen. I just don't think Pat at this point has to get involved in it, and I don't think they're – and I think there's an implied – understanding at USC that you either get the job done or you won't be at USC. I mean, I think it's, it's that simple. I mean, you're, you know, there are programs in the country uh, where, you know, it, it isn't acceptable to be just, you know, okay. You know, you say, well, we bounced back this week after that awful, you know, uh, game last week. Isn't that okay? No, it's not. Uh, you know, don't have the awful game last week. Uh, so, uh, that, I, I think, you know, Pat doesn't need to get involved. And by the time, uh, uh, you know, you would ever get to that situation with Steve, um, and his staff, 
uh, Pat probably won't be the one making that call anyway. So, uh, but I think the coaches themselves have to understand that themselves. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Um, Lamar has an interesting take. I want to read for you, Dan. He said, happy new year, fellows. Uh, looking back on the 014 season was full of positives for USC. The program is off sanctions. The offense was explosive. Great quarterback play. Youth all over the roster. The team ran the ball very well. The fan base was excited. And the future looks bright. Uh, the 2015 recruiting class is key to sustaining what is currently a good start for a new head coach. The glaring weaknesses are special teams play and the defense. USC had a tough time covering punts, kickoffs, and often used squib kicks on kickoffs. Uh, the team scored 35 points or more in 10 games in 2014 and only won nine games. How much do the kids need to score to get a victory? I do believe that either 2015 or 2016, the issue of getting better on defense will be the breaking point for the coach's tenure. Have a great day and fight on Lamar Johnson. So a little different take from Lamar. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you want a defense you can win games with. Uh, I thought they had one two years, I mean, the last year with Clancy. This year, you didn't see, I mean, other than the Stanford game, which, the the whole issue there was, you know, Stanford gets inside the 35 nine times and scores 10 points. I mean, that was uh, that was on David Shaw. Uh, I mean, USC hung in there, and they hung tough. They didn't give up, and all year long played pretty well, uh, you know, in the red zone in, in terms of defense. But, uh, yeah, the I think the defense, you win national championships, when your defense is good enough to win national championships and Pac-12 championships when your you know your defense is good enough, I think if Oregon had made the point, uh, their defense has gotten better. Uh, they're, you know, they're more you know physical and they're more challenging and they don't probably get as much, you know a lot of credit for it, but because uh, they're on the field a lot. But uh, you know, I mean, obviously Pete had a defense here that you could win games with. And, you know, the offense took advantage of what the defense would give them. And if you had a defense that gave you field position and gave you, you know, possession and, and all of that, if you have a special teams that don't give up, you know, three straight kickoffs to uh, Amir Abdullah that he runs back to the 40 or 45 or whatever, you know, uh, you don't need you don't need that. So you need everything working together. But um, but I think you're right. Uh, you know, defense, special teams really step up. Uh, you would think USC's got enough offense, and, and and should always have enough offense. I mean, if you can't recruit skilled people at USC, you really shouldn't be <laughs> at USC. Yeah. So you know that should be a given going into games. So then uh, you get the defense, special teams to step up. Uh, you got a good shot in every game. But you want to have a sense that. You know, if push comes to shove, our defense can win this game for us. All right. Uh, we've got a few more to get to, and we've been knocking out pretty good, though. Nice job, Dan. Um, just so many. It's crazy how many we got this week. Uh, Jeff, he said, given the lack of depth on the defensive line, even with uh, the targeted recruits, do we have any offensive linemen on the roster that may be a better fit at the defensive tackle position? For example, could you see Chris Brown or Nico Fala moving to defense? Given Damian Mama's mammoth size, quickness, and strength, would he not make an immovable nose guard, or am I just being foolish? That's Jeff. No, he would. He would. Damian would absolutely. He would be a, a sensational nose guard. And, and you think about his NFL future, 
Uh, it's a really good thought. I mean, I think, you know, thinking about doing a, a piece about all of the potential uh, position switches, it, it just if you're just totally, uh, you know, uh, thinking out of the box and just saying, well, what if, you know, and everybody knows it, there was a lot of attention on Dory going both ways or going three ways, counting special teams or the, the talk about Juju uh, going to safety uh, for next year and all of that, but uh, but I think you know you're you're in the right ball. I would have liked, for example, over the years, I would have loved to see John Martinez as a nose as a nose tackle. I, I thought that was his future if he was going to you know play professionally. I always uh, you know wished uh, size wise with strength and explosiveness that he would have gotten a, a shot to play there. Uh, do you take a chance with the Damian Mama? Uh, he really does do a good job, you know, offensively. Uh, he's got that kind of Deuce Latoui, uh, you know, ability. Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't think there's anything wrong thinking about that. I mean, I think Khalil Rogers, you know, might be a guy who might also be another, uh, you know, nose tackle prospect. You know, he's quick and tough. And, uh, you know, if you've got one uh, offensive lineman, behind, you know, stacked behind another, um yeah, do you take a look at that? Uh, do you take a look at uh, Jordan Simmons? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, I see defensive linemen in Nico and, uh, and Chris Brown. Uh, they, look, they look more like offensive linemen to me. But I do think there are, you know, there are some guys you can take a look at, you know, and, uh, and, and just see where, uh, where you want to move them around. And I think they've got time and, and, and the ability to to do that, and they're still not going to have a full roster. So uh, I think that's a good idea, and I think it you know it should extend through the entire roster. Okay, uh, Jim and Cannon Country um, said, "Well, Steve Sarkeesian actually have a balanced competition between Max Brown and Cody Kessler this spring, and by balanced, I mean each one getting equal reps with the first unit." So I don't think you can have a balanced competition when you've got. A guy uh, with as many starts and as many, uh, you know, opportunity, you know, to to play is. It, it, there's no way you can, you know, maybe you know you unbalance it. Maybe you give Max more, uh, uh, you know, to to get him, you know, a little closer to, you know, up to speed and on all of that. Because uh, I think you know you want him to be really the ability. I think next year you have to go in thinking you want to be able to win any game on the schedule with Max Brown. So I think you do whatever whatever it takes. But uh, in terms of competition, uh, you know, you never want to say there's no competition, but there really, you know, there, there can't be any any competition in this situation. I mean, they're just, uh, you know, when you've got a senior quarterback coming back off of a year that, that Cody's had, uh, you, you just not. Uh, I mean, I think the competition there is, uh, and, and you talk to the kids, and they talk about it the same way. The competition is with themselves to be as good as they can be, and let somebody else you know sort that out. But it's not so much uh, you know Cody against Max, but both of them uh, you know competing against themselves to be absolutely as good you know running the offense as they can possibly be. But um, uh, but I think you know I think we were starting to see uh, the kind of maturing uh, with Max, even though you know you may not have gotten to see it in games. Uh, we were starting to see that on the practice field, as you would expect at this, at this age. So, so I think you'll, you know, it'll be a different Max Brown. I don't think there's any question. And I think he'll, 
have the ability to do a whole lot of things next year uh, that maybe he he couldn't have done this year. But uh, but I'm not sure. You know, it's that competitive part of it uh, between uh, Max and Cody, but more between just Cody. How good can he be? And Max, how good can he be? Um, all right, let's go. Jamal has a question, and then we're going to we're going to do a voicemail question. So we're we're wrap we're getting done with this segment here pretty soon. Uh, with the Harbaugh hire at Michigan, have you heard any rumblings that Coach Orgeron would be in play for the recruiting coordinator and a de- defensive line spot? Seems like he'd be a perfect fit in that situation, especially with the late start. Even though he's no longer with us, he deserves to be in college football at the highest level. That's Jamal. Yeah, and I don't know. I know. Michigan, gosh, they're they're changing over so many of, and, and they're they're you know the the guys are going far. I mean, they're really uh, you know trying to put together a staff. I think they they got uh, um, uh, Stanford's strength and conditioning guy, who I think that that's a big hit for them. And I think they're trying to keep one or two guys uh, that have been mainstays at the program. And I don't know how that how that would work with, with someone like uh, Ed coming in. Uh, I think it would be, you know, well-advised anybody in the country that could hire Ed, uh, you know, to do so. Um, you, you, you know, it would be a, a terrific, uh, you know, recruiting jump for, uh, for Harbaugh there, which is really what they need. They need a lot of talent. You're going to go against, uh, you know, your two arch rivals are Ohio State and Michigan State. Uh, the way they're going right now, uh, you really do need to, you know, do something different from what Michigan's done, you know, recruiting-wise. But, uh, yeah, that would be, uh, you know, that would be a, a great bump. I don't see that uh, as as happening, but uh, uh, whoever, you know, would ever end up with, uh, with Coach O would, I think, really help themselves, you know, a great deal. And, uh, yeah, you're right, he's got to get back. With a uh, with a really good college program next year, uh, and so who knows? Uh, maybe maybe things will work out <laughs> even at USC. I, I wouldn't you know put it completely out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I, um, I think he would be um, he's going to be a force wherever he goes, and uh, I think you know he's you know, sitting out this year. He's still under contract with USC, uh, and it seems kind of a shame to be uh, be paying Coach O and, and not getting the benefits of, of Coach O. So I'm a big uh, a big Coach O fan. So uh, whatever anybody could do to get you know Coach O coaching for him, I think would be a, a really good move. All right, uh, one last one for you, Dan. And this is a debate we were kind of having in my in my own house with my wife, who's a an SEC fan, a Tennessee fan, I'll play you this uh, voicemail question for you. Here you go. What's up, guys? This is uh, Sean from Kentucky. I just wanted to call in and uh, ask Coach Hyde or even Dan Weber a question, even you, Ryan. Um, there was nothing that I liked better than listening to the Paul Feinbaum show after these uh, last set of bowls that we watched and hear those SEC idiots absolutely – go on full meltdown mode. Oh, my gosh, it was hilarious uh, watching the reaction to all the big dogs in the big, bad SEC West just fall on their face. And my question to you is, was the Pac-12 conference the best conference this season? I mean, 
you look at the SEC West and think about all their height, uh, you know, not many people are talking about the Pac-12 South. you got five teams with nine wins. Five teams are going to be in the top 25, three with ten wins, plus Oregon, the possible national champion. So was the Pac-12 the best conference in football this year? I think, yes, it was. I think the main reason for that is I think the Pac-12 quarterback play is head and shoulders above anyone else in college football. Thanks for the podcast and fight on. Hey, uh, Sean, it's not even a hard question now. I mean, before the bowl, it could have been one of those, we can argue it, uh, and still, you know, the Pac-12 has all the, the qualities, like the quarterbacks, for example, and uh, probably the the edge in, in a coaching uh, you know more uh, coaching that you gotta you gotta be able to do more things in the Pac-12. You you gotta coach against more things. You gotta coach against more quarterbacks who obviously can play, more receivers who can play, more defensive backs who can make plays. You know you've got to have them in the Pac-12 or you get killed. Uh, I think there's no question. You could argue that case, and I would have argued for the Pac-12 before the bowls. It's not even a question now. I mean it's not even a debate. I mean you know. Uh, if you listen to Paul Feinbaum, and I actually did, uh, uh, they weren't debating. They were screaming and shouting, and, you know, Phyllis from Manga, Alabama, uh, just going on her, you know, because uh, she was unhappy with what Colin Cowherd had said about the, uh, you know, the SEC. Uh, but I think the SEC has hidden this, uh, and they've gotten people to buy in, and, and we were talking uh, with Ryan about, for example, if you remember uh, week one of the season, all the geniuses in the in the country were christening uh, Texas A&M. My God, how good is that program? And Coach Sumlin and that quarterback is going to win the uh, uh, Heisman Trophy because did you see the way they beat South Carolina? Oh, my gosh, and all the national guys had gone to that game and it was because it was uh, – you know, the first game of college football this year. And, and it's just a joke. I mean, these people have no idea what they're looking at, what they're seeing. Uh, you know, I mean, Alabama beats uh, uh, LSU and, you know, a real close game, and everybody, wow, well, that's good. And then Notre Dame beats LSU at the end of the year, the same Notre Dame team that people were dismissing as like a high school JV team when they played USC. Uh, and it's like, wait a minute, maybe there's something going on here now. The SEC has very wisely chosen to avoid the uh, Pac-12 in bowl games as well as regular season. You know, they give you the story about, oh, that time change. Our boys would get back to campus so late when we play on the West Coast, they wouldn't be able to get to the library, you know, next day uh, (laughs) to do all their, you know, homework. Uh, So we can't play on the West Coast anymore now. We might play you if you play only one game and you play in our stadium, but we're not really interested in home-and-homes with the uh, Pac-12. And I wouldn't be either if I were the SEC. Uh, uh, but you know, a, a perfect example, I think, if you look at the history, and the SEC knew what they were doing, and Mike Slide was a genius, and, and Roy Kramer before that who set up the BCS, they knew they were setting it up in a way that they'd probably get a team almost every year into the championship game. And if they could get rid of USC somehow, they'd be in good shape because they'd get some, you know, bad Oklahoma team or, you know, one of those teams that really didn't belong there. And uh, they'd be able to, you know, get, a, get on a run, and they did. And, uh, and one of the interesting points is 
I think you could make the case that in three of those years during the SEC run, had USC gotten there, yeah, or at least two of those, I guess, you would be able to make the case that USC uh, would have probably won a couple of more championships, but they couldn't get there. And the thought is that the SEC team, whoever was the designated team, always got there. Uh, but the Pac-12, it was hard to get there out of the Pac-12. Uh, and that should have told you something over the years that something's going on in the Pac-12. There are people that can beat you. Uh, the depth and the, and the quality you know, of, of just the quarterback play and the offenses that, that you didn't see in the SEC. And you could say, yeah, they, but they got more guys being drafted and what have you. But if they were at a hand to play more years where they had a four-team playoff where you had to win two games and where you couldn't shut out a team like, uh, for example, this year, it had been the old BCS as we were you know, talking uh, before the show, uh, how, what were the chances that was going to be an Alabama-Florida State game? And, and, you know, Oregon would have been in the Rose Bowl saying, you know, well, they wouldn't have been in the Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, in the, in the old style, they would old you know, system, they'd have been in the Rose Bowl saying, hey, wait a minute, what about us? As USC found itself uh, at times. And uh, so it's harder for the SEC to game the system. So I think the uh, – the arguments are going to go away a little bit. And I think the SEC knows that. Maybe that's a reason why you're seeing uh, Alabama opening with USC in 2016, um, that they know that that old system has gone away and that they're not going to be able to, you know, fake their way through it. Uh, but uh, but this year, obviously, uh, the Pac-12 was, it was clearly, you know, superior to the SEC, and, and they – they know it. They really do. That was not a great Alabama team. Uh, and yet everybody jumped on board by the end of the year uh, that they were really good. And you look at their, you know, the quarterback was a former running back who hadn't started in uh, in the previous four years. Uh, they didn't have any absolutely great offensive linemen. They did not have great linebackers. Uh, they were iffy in the secondary. I mean, there were, you know, there were issues with that Alabama team, but everybody lumped them in like, oh, they're another, you know, juggernaut from Tuscaloosa. Well, they weren't. And they showed it during the season when you go back and look now and look at their games against uh, pretty average uh, SEC teams. Uh, this season is turning out probably the way it should, but nobody realized that. Hopefully going forward, uh, Sean and Kentucky, you aren't going to have to keep making those arguments. Uh because, you know, it is what it is. People just didn't want to, you know, see what it was. And, and, you know, they don't get to see. If you wanted to watch the Pac-12, it's not easy to watch the Pac-12 on television with uh, the way the games are, you know, the the way they scheduled it and the the late games, and they they like it, for example. Oh, nobody's going against this. Well, there's a reason. It's on, you know, it's, you know, third quarter finishes up at 1 o'clock in the morning uh, on the East Coast. There's a reason why. Uh, people don't see the Pac-12, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't think there's any, there's not even an argument this year, and even the uh, SEC people aren't arguing that anymore, I don't think. Uh, well, my wife is, and, I, and Sean, I can't, uh, <laughs> I cannot advocate making fun of Southerners, or they'll be sleeping on the couch, um, but the, the point I was kind of w- making with uh, my wife, Jen, about this is, that the SEC, and you said it, Dan, they were gaming the system. They got the benefit of the doubt. So if you if you took the label off and you looked at Team A and Team B, 
And if you looked at, you know, like what Arizona did after beating Oregon on the road, they were never going to be if, – if that was Texas A&M that had done that or whatever, I mean, they're going to be a, a number one team in the country. You know, the Ole Miss teams and the Mississippi States, they're kind of jettisoned up there. And, and a lot of it's the rest of the country too. You win those early out-of-state – I mean, uh, out-of-conference games like beating West Virginia or Kansas State or Wisconsin. Like, SEC won those games early in the season, and that kind of helps and, and builds up that – that, hey, look, we're better than the other teams. Now, the bowl season, it kind of changes the narrative a little bit, and maybe next year you don't get the benefit of the doubt. But the biggest thing is the system can't be gained where you're just saying, Alabama and LSU, you're the two best teams in the country. You should play for the championship. Now you actually have to play to get in there. So Oregon would have been shut out, like you said, Dan. They're likely to win the national championship. Oregon and Ohio State would have both been shut out. They would not have been in there in the championship game. So the system's different now. I think the narrative will change a little bit where it's not going to be as this is this team's getting the benefit of the doubt. So I, I don't think you'll see it as much, but still, I mean, the ton of athletes down there, they're still going to put a whole bunch of guys in the NFL. Um, but, you know, it, I think it won't be as bad as it was before. Yeah, I think the SEC is going to change. They're going to have to change uh, because this isn't going to work. I mean, now they, they've got a new, you know, this is the new system. And uh, I think you might even see more, uh, you know, out-of-conference uh, scheduling and uh, where teams, you know, test one another. I mean, basically one of the reasons Lane Kiffin's at Alabama is uh, Nick Saban wanted to bring some Pac-12 to the SEC. I mean, that was, you know, one of Lane's jobs was to, what are they doing out there, and, and how can you help us uh, do some of that? And uh, so I think, you know, Nick Saban, then they schedule USC – in the opener in 2016. So I think that will start to happen. Uh, we'll see how far it goes. Uh, but uh, the 14 playoff changes, uh, you know, changes the picture completely. I mean, I think the thing, it was interesting with SEC fans, you know, they, they went into the year saying how hard is it going to be for us to get two of those four spots. There was a time during the year where they actually were wondering if they were even going to get one. Yeah. And luckily Alabama – you know, came came through, and, and to some extent, we always assumed. Well, that just means Alabama's really good. Uh-uh. Now, as it turns out, that meant the rest of the SEC wasn't very good, and Alabama, you know, survived. But they didn't survive because they really had become, you know, this great team by the end of the year. Uh, so that's going to change how people think about it. Uh, you know, going forward, because the SEC was really average. Uh, in so many ways, and and most people didn't pick up on it. I mean, there were you know that the week that three of the top four teams uh, were from the SEC. Are you kidding me? I mean, that was in the middle of the season, and people still didn't understand uh, you know what was going on. Uh, and, and maybe now they do. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know if I trust the. It'd be interesting to see the final AP poll, for example. Uh, uh, you know, what we end up with. Uh, is there some rethinking? Uh, you know, like, for example, will Notre Dame end up ahead of LSU? I don't know. But, you know, will LSU just automatically be, uh, you know, a top 25 team just because they're LSU? And uh, where do the five, uh, you know, Pac-12 South teams end up vis-a-vis the five, uh, you know, SEC uh, West teams? How does that how does that play out uh, in the final poll? We'll see if you know some of these people are starting to you know recognize what went on this year and and 
I, I don't know. I, I really, I, I, I don't know how, how that's going to play out in the polls uh, this year. But it'll be interesting to see. It definitely will. Well, Dan, crazy stuff. I mean, we almost did, an, <laughs> we did like 50 minutes just for one segment of the show. I know it's a really long one, but thank you so much for uh, sticking with us and getting to all the questions. I don't know why. We just had a, a you know tidal wave of questions this week. But thanks again for uh, coming on, Dan. Oh, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks for the questions, you guys. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for sending those in. And we're going to be back in a minute. We're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde, even a whole bunch more questions to get to. Lots of USC football talk here on January 5th. 2015, great show to start off the year. Thank you. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Roll it along with so many questions coming in. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. And we have Coach Harvey Hyde coming on the show. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Well, Happy New Year to everyone. Yes, we're wrapping up 2014 and we're into 2015, which means uh, a day off maybe for everyone, coaches, uh, whoever's out there, it's time to tape your ankles and get into 2015, and I'm ready to go, Ryan. I'll tell you, it's been an exciting bowl season. I'll tell you, really an exciting season as far as close games and upsets and all of the above. So uh, we've still got the NFL games and – and then all of a sudden it's spring practice. Well, first of all, recruiting. Recruiting is going yes. to be huge. And then, of course, then we get into spring training and all of that. But, uh, hey, I'm glad to be back, and uh, let's get started. Yeah, we're glad to have you back. And wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the URL. Or if you can go to you can give them a call if you want, 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, all the stuff going on, hockey, whatever you like, concerts. You want to go to the theater, go to sctickets.com, and they will hook you up. They've been a friend of our show for years and years, so we appreciate them. And, uh, yeah, we're going to just jump right in the questions, Coach, because there's so many, and uh, we'll do our best to, to get to them all. We know you've know, we know you got like lots of stuff going on, so we'll try to knock them all out. Steven San Diego's up first. He said, Happy New Year to you and the entire podcast crew. Last Monday's podcast was excellent. I think Coach Hyde nailed it on the head when he said a soft defense only gets softer as the game goes on. I have one question slash comment for you. On Monday's podcast, I believe you guys were talking about Sark questioning Helton why they were not bringing pressure at the end of the game. Do you think if Sark wasn't calling plays, he could pay attention to the game better 
and get in Helton's headset and tell him to blitz. I think he's talking about uh, – <laughs> He's not talking about Clay Helton is the offensive coordinator. I think he's talking about Justin Wilcox, the defensive coordinator. Um, as always, keep up the excellent work. You guys put on a terrific and professional podcast. Thanks again, Stephen San Diego. Well, thank you, Stephen San Diego. Uh, you know, uh, as a head football coach, you have access to the defensive coaches and the offensive coaches at the same time. You have a simple switch on your headset that you just uh, switch and you can talk to the defensive coordinator anytime or the defensive coaches all can hear you. Same with, with the offensive coaches. They can all hear you. You're communicating as a head coach with both sides. You're the only one that can normally do that because you don't want to interrupt uh, thoughts of the other side. But at any time, Coach Sarkeesian wants to change uh, looks on defense. He can simply do that. Uh, especially uh, when you get in certain field positions uh, during a game when it depends on whether uh, a field goal will beat you or whatever field position means, you can say, go after him. I want you to go after him, play man, go after him, bring a blitz, do whatever you have to do. I mean, I'm just saying that what you're asking, Steve, is yes. You're in control of the entire game. And it is a lot easier when you're game-focused on both sides of the football and special teams where you can see if the kickoff coverage is breaking down and you get them over to the side as a head football coach and you talk to the special teams as a group, you're not just the head coach of the offense, you're head coach of your entire team. So, yeah, I've always felt that it's better to be a, a game manager and a, a team manager and a time manager and be in charge of all of the parts of your complete program rather than just emphasizing one side of it. You, you've heard me talk about that over and over and over. But, yeah, but still, as a head coach, you still have that command of asking your defensive coordinator to do uh, certain things. All right, uh, let's go. we got a voicemail question here for you. Let's uh, knock this one out. Here you go. What's up, guys? This is Sean from Kentucky. I just had two points that I wanted to make and get your all's take on. The first one is about the comment that Kenny Bell made about us being the most talented team. Uh, well, I think that is true. I think also in perspective, there are certain positions we've maybe taken a little bit of a step backwards in talent, but our scheme changed too. So it's, uh, so it's kind of, you don't really know what to attribute it to, but you know, Pete Carroll had a linebacking core one year of Brian Cushing, Clay Matthews, and Ray Malaluga. Like you said, Ryan, we don't have one guy on our team right now that's anywhere close to that, but I like the direction that we're going in recruiting. And my second point is about if this year is a success at nine wins, uh, people got to remember, we're ultimately two plays away from 11 wins. Uh, now, what could have, should have, would have, but, um, I mean, I think it's kind of status quo. The average win uh, increase between a first-year and a second-year coach, which – we saw even with Lane Kiffin, is anywhere from two to four wins. Well, I think that'll be true of Sark next year in the regular season, and that's putting us right out of about 10, 11 wins in the regular season, which I think is right where we should be. Um, and I think it's also worth noting, uh, the Pac-12 South at the end of the year is going to have five ranked teams and five teams with nine wins. There's no walk in the park in this division. Thanks, and fight on. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I agree that the Pac-12 uh, has demonstrated with a 6-2 uh, and two bowl record 
that it is a great conference. We've talked about that the entire football season from the beginning, preseason. Two teams, Washington loses 30-22, to Arizona loses 38-30. to Both teams drop behind early in the game and can't catch up. Uh, I still feel that the, the uh, Pac-12 should be undefeated if, if those two teams showed up to play and uh, didn't allow themselves to get upset because they were favorites in the game. Uh, uh, nine wins, you can't sneeze at nine wins. Nine wins are, are a lot of wins. Uh, everybody would love to have a- ended their season with nine wins. At least the majority of the teams would have liked to have ended this season with nine wins. Not Nebraska. They fired Obvi- their coach. <laughs> huh? Not Nebraska. They fired their coach. <laughs> no. That's right. They fired their coach. Uh, that's because not of winning. I think that's a lot of other yes, no. uh, reasons, But they had too. nine wins, and they fired him. <laughs> yeah, they fired him. So uh, winning doesn't mean everything. You can get fired no matter what. That's what it's all about, and that's why the loyalties today and, and by the kids or by the coaches, it's pretty thin because everybody, as I've mentioned all along, it's not we or team anymore. It's me and then team and we. And it starts at the administration part of it, too. It's all part of it. But teams don't win at the level that Florida State, Ohio State, uh, Oregon, these these teams that made the Final Four, Alabama, unless the administration wants to win. I talked about this at the kickoff luncheon when I emceed this this, this past week at, uh, at the Rose Bowl before introducing the athletic director and the presidents uh, from these two fine universities it starts with them it starts with the board it starts with yes it's important we've got to emphasize the importance of what this is all about in fact i had lunch before the game with the chairman of the board of the uh regents uh from florida state and the president from florida state he just happened to sit down at the same table i was at and we had a great talk about what college athletics mean to a university it's it's really the heart of a university, not that academics aren't important, but the heart of a university is pride of a university, and everyone living the dream and staying alive. And that's 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 the way I look at it too. It's not that academics is not important, but it's what brings everybody together on a Saturday or a bowl game, where everybody cheers for their team. But uh, as far as uh, uh, they, what the hell was I talking? What was the question? <laughs> he was talking about huh? like first-year coach going to second-year coach. He's optimistic about Sark in the next year to be able to, to bump it up to you know, 10, 11 wins. All right, then I agree. That's what we started with. And then right. I got on a ramp here. <laughs> That's okay. But, well, uh, uh, all right. We're good. We can uh, move on, Coach. Yeah. That's fine. Huh? We got so many questions to get to. And Sean, that was uh, Sean's second voicemail. He had one for... Dan as well. So we appreciate the uh, the love from Kentucky, uh, USC fans. I want to keep it in the SEC. Uh, Brian from Birmingham, uh, SEC, an SC fan in SEC country, said he had a couple of things I wanted to run by Coach Hyde and get his point of view. First, which direction do you think USC should head when searching for an offensive line coach? Second, uh, this was a big weekend for SC with the commitments of Ross, Tell, and Jones. Third, congrats to Nelson for making the jump to the NFL. He's been a great Trojan. However, I believe he may have left a year prematurely. He may be a third rounder this year. And lastly, the Alabama fan named Phyllis that calls the Herd Show and Paul Feinbaum Show 
on those ignorant rants. That's one of the reasons I'm not an Alabama fan. Enough said. Go Trojans. So that's uh, Brian in uh, SEC country. Brian, do you expect me to remember all four of those? <laughs> uh, I'll... Wait, what, they started with the, try yeah, and you, the you help me, okay, Ryan? Yeah, the offensive line coach he wanted. What direction do you think they should go? Well, first of all, uh, as Coach Sarkeesian has said, hey, there's a lot of great coaches in the country, and it all starts with the offensive line and defensive line. It really does. It, you don't, you, and to replace uh, Coach Tim uh, Debo, it's going to be difficult. Why he coached these kids that are going to all be back? They all have a belief in him, his style. Uh, they're family on the offensive line. You're not individuals on the offensive line. Uh, you all, you never get credit unless you have a holding penalty or your legal procedure, and then they mention your number. Uh, it's going to be tough. What direction do they go? I think they've got to really take their time and make sure they get an experienced line coach, not one that's going to be this is his first party got to be a guy that's won a national championship. It's got to be a guy that comes from a great program or has been in great programs and the kids feel comfortable about it. It's got to be a player's coach. I think it's got to be a hard ass, what I mean by that, but yet a guy that loves his kids and his kids love him. Got to be the type of guy that they respect. You know, don't think kindness is weakness and they want to play for him and they want to perform for him. And they don't want to disappoint him. Now, who is that? Who is that? Well, I'm not in the job of hiring the offensive line coach. If I was still coaching, I would have a couple of ideas who that might be. If you remember the past offensive line coach that was out there that I think did a great job at USC was Tim Davis. I think it would be a guy like that, a guy that could come in that had USC history, a guy that's coached at USC, a guy that believes in USC, a guy that will turn his hat around and run into a wall to demonstrate to his players what it's all about, that type of guy. But the players love him, too. Remember, he coached on those national championship teams. I'm not sure where Tim is right now as far as coaching. I know he was in the NFL for a while, and he's been around. But he's that type of guy that USC needs as an offensive line coach. Uh, where, where, where Will they go after him? I have no idea. Would they hire him at USC? I have no idea. But I'm saying when asked the question, I think this is the type of guy they've got to go after, a guy that they feel as a group of offensive linemen like, okay, we lost Coach Revo, but we got Coach Davis. It's got to be that type of feeling, and then Coach Davis has got to give those guys a type of feeling, if it is him or someone like him, that, hey, man, I'm here – you're here. We all win together. We all lose together. We all pray together. We all cry together. We do it all together, and let's get it done. That type of guy. Now, what was another one of his questions? Uh, well, he talked about the big recruiting weekend, and we talked a lot about that on the recruiting podcast we did with Gerard Martinez over the weekend, so we don't need to go on that. But the Nelson and, and the Paul Feinbaum show, I mean, that's fine. But the, the Nelson Aguilar, he thinks he left a little bit early. He might only be a third rounder. What, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I think he left a little early. I do. Uh, he's the 11th ranked receiver by a lot of polls, and the 82nd top player by a lot of these, uh, you know, polls that they have out there, pick sheets or whatever you want to call them. All these geniuses that put that together. But uh, I think it'd have been good if he stayed another year. Uh, but at least it's a position where USC is loaded. 
couple of these kids that they just signed this weekend are great players too. So, or got verbal commits on, I should say. This Ross kid is a great player, just a great player. He's the next Juju Smith. I don't know if you agree with me or not, Ryan, on this, but he has those type of skills, great speed, yeah. can go either way. He's that type of skilled player. That, that he's he's going to be the next, 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 next after the all the ones they already have. But uh, I'd like to have seen him stay. I think he needed another year where they are learning now to share. They're learning now at the final part of the season of throwing the ball around, which would give him more greatness. I think one thing receivers at USC have to learn, the first thing you have to do is not be a receiver. The first thing they have to learn is to be a blocker. I really think they have to get more physical as far as receivers at USC. And I'm just throwing that out. I know that question wasn't asked, but since we're talking about receivers, I really believe to be great at USC as a receiver, you've got to be a great blocker. You've got to be a blocker before you are a receiver to make all of these type of bubble screens and all these different things work. So if I'm coaching at USC, my number one suggestion would be in the spring, be physical as an offensive receiver. Be physical. Okay. Yeah, that, we actually had that question on, uh, with Dan Weber because I had tweeted during the Oregon game USC could take notes of how Oregon blocks these bubble screens. And uh, they did a, a much better job than, than what USC did. So that's that's definitely something that's come up, uh, Coach, and, and, and we, we try to talk about. Well, let me tell you, I'll give you a little example. I did the, the Laurie's Beef Bowls, MC that. So I was in the restroom, and one of the receivers came in, and we were in there, and I was just talking with him. And this is just how they think. I said, well, how's the passing going to be? And you know what he said to me? I won't even tell you what guy it was, but he said to me, how am I going to block in the game? That's exactly what he said. How am I going to block in the game? Not how many touchdown passes I'm going to catch. How am I going to block in the game? That'll get you, get you an idea of, of what their thoughts up, uh, are up in Oregon. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, that's awesome tidbit, Coach. And I think that's something that definitely needs to change uh, with USC. Uh, let's move on. William, he said, welcome to my birthplace and retirement hometown after 24 years in the military. I think he's talking about San Diego. Um, oh, no, no. I think he I was actually was in San Antonio. So I think that's where he was talking about. When I, he wrote this when I was in San Antonio uh, for the, the uh, Army game. Um, he said, Coach Hyde always confuses me about the effect of the scholarship losses on the Trojans' performance. And he gives four points. I'm not going to read them all, but I'll, I'll give you like the, the gist of them. He said that the team's thin in some areas, um, that they get tired in the fourth quarter, uh, that they don't practice as hard because they fear losing more players to injury, and you have to face these players that you didn't get to recruit on opposing teams. So he's saying, wouldn't all of those factors be a reason that the scholarship uh, losses hurt? And he said, if Coach Hyde is right and the scholarship losses have nothing to do with the team's performance, then why doesn't USC continue with only giving 15 scholarships a year and save all that money? Uh, that's William. William makes sense as far <laughs> as the 15 scholarship does. You'd save a lot of money, but again, as you gave and answered your own questions, you don't want to play against these players, and you do want to have depth to help you become a better football team and better competition. I used to say when I coached, "Hey, we never have a great enough great uh, enough great running backs. We never have a great enough great ends. Why? We get better practicing against great players." We only play once a week. So 
we can only go against other teams' great players once a week. But if I have a lot of great players on my team, I can get a lot better during the week by doing one-on-one and all these different drills we do. Now, what I meant by that, yes, uh, you do need 85 players if you can keep your numbers at that. But in the USC situation, I meant that the 85-player limitation did not make a difference in the games they lost. When you lose on time management or you lose because you didn't make a first down, uh, that is not numbers. That is not numbers. Uh, that is uh, a part of coaching and game management. Now, you did win some games. You won the Arizona game when time ran out. But, uh, and you won the Stanford game because uh, you just had someone on your side that day. But uh, what I mean is when you're getting worn down, you've got to help your defensive front. You've got to play to win, not to lose. And what that means, if your defensive front is getting tired, then you've got to assist them with your linebacker play and your secondary play by doing more blitzing, more mixing up of the defense, allowing those players some help, giving them some help attacked on defense. Play offense on defense. Don't sit back and expect your front four to play at that same rate all the time. You've got to rest your defense and if you don't have time to rest your defense, then you've got to attack more with your linebackers. And USC didn't really do that this year. In fact, Ryan, you had all the stats that they blitzed more or stunted less than any other team in the Pac-12. Is that right? Yeah, at one point in the season, I think they stepped it up. I haven't checked lately. They stepped it up a little bit. But certainly, they were the uh, not in the Pac-12. And of all the Power 5 schools, they blitzed less than everybody. That's right. So... You know, you've got to assist your front seven or your front four or three, depending what front you're in. So that's the way I'm talking about the number portion of it. I'm talking about helping your defense out, which was thinner than the offensive side of the football. Ball control, making those first downs. A couple of first downs along the way would have rested your defensive front, rested your defense, built confidence more in the team, and getting first downs, not throwing the ball all the time or stopping the clock because you're throwing an incomplete pass against Utah (laughs) or against Arizona State to stop the clock, and you want them to use a timeout so they don't have that timeout. These are the type of things I'm talking about. The philosophy, the game management of that was not the difference in numbers as far as USC was concerned. 100% agree, Coach. And, uh, yeah, overall, you know, you wouldn't want to – Longevity-wise, it's not going to be good for your team. But USC had a talented enough team that that's not why they lost those games. That was more decisions and things like you said. So I agree with you 100%, Coach. Thanks for that one, William. Um, Gene from the OC is writing in. He said, hi, Ryan. Thank God for your podcast. For USC fans, this is the greatest. This is the only way us fans can get the insight we don't get from newspapers. Thank you very much for that, Gene. A few observations. Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, will bring a championship team to Michigan within three years. Too bad we couldn't get him at USC. I think Cody Tesler is overrated. He's a good quarterback, but he's not good enough to win a championship. His completion ratio is based on too many short passes, but he sits in the pocket too long and passed up many chances to run when he could have made a first down. After watching many football games this year, you have to have a running quarterback to succeed. Just look at the trouble USC had defending them. The only way to win with a pocket passer is with a tremendous line and a great coach 
and we have neither. Wow, it's tough stuff. Uh, I think it's about time for Hayden to step up and force Sark to give up play calling and get a, uh, a decent defensive coordinator. If not, I think we'll, we will not be a championship-caliber team. USC deserves better than mediocre coaching. Hopefully Sam Darnold, he's talking about a uh, uh, 2015 recruit that they will sign in February, uh, will win the quarterback position next year and will start looking for running quarterbacks in the future. Fight on, Gene from the OC. Man, that's rough. Gene, my friend, <laughs> do me a favor, everybody. Shorter questions or a lot of different questions. <laughs> but I want to try to answer. First of all, Jim Harbaugh, uh, at one time, I recommended him to somebody uh, when there was an opening at USC to be the USC coach, okay? I think he brings college football. He brings a toughness with him. He's a tough guy. He plays tough football. And... Uh, I agree. I think he'll bring a winning program to the University of Michigan. Now you've got Urban Meyer there now that's pretty good, and Antonio's done a great job at Michigan State. They're all in the same division, so it won't be as easy as what it might look like, but he'll turn that place around. Because they want to win in Michigan. We talked about that earlier. They want to win. When they pay a guy this kind of money and they have a 100,000-seat stadium that's sold out and this and that, winning's important in Michigan, believe me. And I think Jim will do a great job there. He's a great recruiter. He knows what fits his style of play. He knows what fits it. He's a hard-nosed guy, and he'll go after Rosen, too. Don't think – UCLA shouldn't think that Rosen is locked up. Was he? Oh, does he fit that scheme that Jim Harbaugh runs at Michigan? So we'll see what happens with that. As far as uh, the other part of it was uh, the running quarterback portion of it and Cody Kessler – yeah, uh, I I'd just like to say this, and I've said this before. Without Cody Kessler this year, I'm not sure just what or how many touchdowns USC would have scored. With a young team, the young receivers, the young offensive line, uh, Cody brings great leadership. You can't deny that. I said the entire year I wish they'd have huddled up because he could have spoken to him more and assisted him. He's a leader. Uh, he he could have, I think, uh, not that they didn't understand play calling and so on, but he brings a confident type of feeling. And you've heard me say it before. Okay, guys, now, you know what you do on this read. This is what I'm, we're going to do. If they come up in a cover two, I'm going to hit you in the seam. Or make sure you hold out hit the, and I'll hit the corner. Whatever. It's just a little bit of a reminder rather than having five or six freshmen look to the sideline. And I think also that his abilities looked like at times they weren't that good against good teams. But he did perform, and without him, we or SC would not have won the games they won. Really, he's the guy that led that entire offense. Now, I'll agree with this statement. The offense that USC is currently running, and you've heard me say this now since the spring, does not fit Cody Kessler's style of play or any quarterback currently at USC except for maybe Green's style of play. It is a run-read option type of play where the quarterback has got to hold the perimeter with his faking and running ability. That is one reason why I don't think this offense fits Cody Kessler. And I agree an athletic quarterback is far better than a non-athletic quarterback. 
because you have so many other things you can do on bootleg runs or quarterback draws or things that it makes it more difficult for defense to stop when you have an athletic quarterback. So I think you've got to design other ways to take advantage of Cody Kessler by getting to the perimeter more by the old eye sweep, not the little toss or pretending you're going to go to the outside. But you've got to stretch the field on defenses. You've got to make them defend the entire field, short, deep, uh, wide side of the field, short side of the field, with certain types of running and passing plays. And I don't think USC's offense has done that. Started to do it towards the end of the year, but you can't do it with the threat of Cody Kessler running the football, but no one cares. <laughs> He's a great athlete, but they do not care with his running threat ability. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. And I thought he would do more of that. That's a, a surprise. He didn't take off and run more. And I'm I'm not sure exactly why, but it just didn't seem to be part of part of the game plan this year. No, it wasn't. So if they're not going to do that, then they've got to get outside a different way where the receivers dominate block. They force the defensive secondary to worry about the perimeter as far as the running part of their offense and stretch the field so it works. Otherwise... It ain't going to work. They're just going to pitch down inside, and if he keeps the ball, so what? Yeah. Because they'll run him down. So, you know, this is what you got to deal with, and you got to be able to notice these type of things. And right now, currently, uh, they're, return- they're recruiting a couple of quarterbacks. Uh, Darnold is the only one that has the best running ability. Green can run the football some, but I just don't know what their thoughts are as far as the perimeter and how you attack it. I don't know why you can't line up run the old toss or whatever you have to do, and pound them outside. Yeah. Uh, and I just don't see Sam Darrell being the starting quarterback next year. So who knows? No, 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 no. And I don't want to disappoint anybody or even the kid. But, you know, you, the kid, uh, Cody's got too much experience. Yeah. 39 touchdowns, five picks. It's like he's not going to be supplanted by a true freshman. So um, let's move on. Patrick in Huntington Beach. After watching the Alabama-Ohio State game, I couldn't help but notice similarities between Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. USC was having success running the ball well against Nebraska, yet chose to pass the ball to stop the clock and give Nebraska a chance to score. Alabama was having a field day running the ball all over Ohio State, yet for some reason decided to start passing. What possesses these coaches to switch their game philosophy, their in-game philosophy, and deviate from what was working? Is it the coach being stubborn? Are they getting too creative for their own good? I wish someone would be in Sark's ear and say, hey, Coach Sark, you see the Alabama game? That looks exactly like you in the fourth quarter. Please help me understand this ridiculousness. Thank you for taking my question and fight on Patrick and Huntington Beach. Well, there there are similarities as far as uh, what both of these coaches are doing offensively. You saw the best of Lane Kiffin in the second half in the Alabama game, the offense uh, couldn't generate anything, couldn't keep the Ohio State off the field, and obviously they got a good butt kicking. I think that uh, Nick Saban's post-game interview says it most and best. He says, we got out hit, we got outplayed, and we got out coached. It was part of our coaching, too, that uh, caused this uh, loss today, and I think that is, is true. 
I think you've got to take advantage of what you do well, and if that isn't working, then you make an adjustment. Why change something when you don't have to? Make them stop it. Uh, I, I always maintain, and you hear me say this, I'm going to run it till you stop it, and then if you stop that, then obviously you can't stop something else that has to do with series in football. Uh, I, I have said this all along. I don't think offensively USC has series. If you do this, I do that, and so on. They just they don't have series. That that's just my my thought. And correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, and 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 they get into this passing mode where they'll pass the ball five or six times in a row. And at times, I, I think you could when you're having success at it because they've stopped your run so now you they've they've done this you do that but until they do that or this i'm not going to do that (laughs) i'm going to keep pounding you and i'm going to keep running the football i'm going to ball control you and i'm going to kick your butt and that's called hard-nosed football and believing in yourself believing what you do and uh, saying don't tell me we can't do it till after we did it type of added don't ever tell me we can't run on you we will find a way to run on you. And uh, sometimes that's a philosophy of, of coaching. Your, your team takes on your personality. I really believe that. As a coordinator, as a head coach, your team uh, feeds off you as far as what type of leader are you. Are you a guy to get in the foxhole with him? Or are you a guy that stands back on the hill with binoculars? I mean, they see this, and they 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 know exactly uh, what your thoughts are in executing certain type of plays. Uh, I have always felt that you can speak one thing and do something else. You can say we're going to run the football, but you're going to do something else. So I really think there has to be a real philosophy and belief in what you do and people believe on what you say is what you're going to do. So uh, that's the best way to answer that question. All right. Uh, we got two more for you, one voicemail, one regular one. I'll play the voicemail for you, Coach, and uh, we'll get you out of here. Here you go. Yes, hi, this is Richard from Toluca Lake. I have a question for the coach regarding next year's schedule. Uh, do you think the first two home games against Arkansas State and Idaho uh, will either help or hinder USC since their game right after that is first conference game is against Stanford at home? And I'm wondering also, I know that's been scheduled long in the past with these guys, but should they start scheduling better non-conference games to help them get into the uh, the regular season. Arkansas State and Idaho just doesn't seem like they're maybe worthy opponents. I know Arkansas State is playing in a bowl game. But anyway, appreciate it. Enjoy the show very much. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, I'll tell you, uh, in the past, USC wouldn't play these type of teams unless they just couldn't find anybody on their schedule. Now it's more or less you got to buy a season ticket. Everything's financial, too. I mean, in both games are at home. You can get them to come there, give them a check, and then they go home happily. Uh, no, you don't get better playing teams like this because, first of all, you don't work as hard during the off season. If you open with Notre Dame or open with Ohio State, you're going to have a great off season. But I'm going to tell you, as a football player and a coach, I say, man, we better get ready to hit somebody. 
I don't want to think about that the third game. I want to think about that during the entire off season, but there's a longer period of time during the off season to get better than there is for one week to get better. Uh, Arkansas State, if you watched the bowl game last night, I know there's been a lot of great coaches that have come out of there, but really, it just doesn't just doesn't play at the same level at USC. Here's here's a team that's going to have maybe the third top recruiting class in the nation playing Arkansas State. I mean, doesn't make sense. So, no, to answer your question, I don't think you get better playing Arkansas State the first game of the year. But what do you think about during the off season? Do you put a Arkansas State sticker in your weight room? <laughs> no, really. I mean, uh, who's impressed with that? None of these kids have ever thought about going there. I'll bet you none of them can tell you what city they're in. Yeah. Right? I bet you don't know what city they're in yet. Yet. How do you get ready for that? Then the second week, Idaho? Nothing against the state of Idaho, okay? But how do you get mentally prepared during the offseason to play Idaho the second game or get the type of performance out of your team to get better? Because if you're doing what you should do, you should blow both these teams out. There shouldn't even be a close game. So now what happens? Are you getting conditioning in the game? Are you taking your players out of the game? Are they learning how to execute against a tough guy? And then all of a sudden, the next week, you got Stanford, who's going to smack you. And you know they're going to smack you at the end of the year. Hey, this might have been one of the best teams in the conference. I yeah. mean, next, you know, I mean, Ryan, next to Oregon, who's the next best team in the conference? I mean, they smack UCLA. Uh, they smack Maryland. Uh, they've got Kevin Hogan back. They've got a lot of guys back. I mean, no, I don't think you get better playing these type of teams early because of the off season and not getting ready mentally as far as that you're going to get hit early. Yeah, and and, and Arkansas State, like Idaho can't beat you, but Arkansas State is a capable team. You don't get a lot of credit for beating them, but that's a they're a pretty good team, and they can come up and sneak up on you. Ryan, they lost last night. They did, but you know <laughs> they lost to Toledo. Okay. Okay, but not. I know you're trying to get a crowd to the Coliseum, okay? That's, uh, you must have some percentage in I season do. tickets or something. Yes, I do. <laughs> but it's a different breath, please, okay? Right. <laughs> it's a whole different deal. All right, we got one last one for you, Coach. Uh, Happy New Year, fellows. My concerns for USC lately have been around the defense, but it looks like a national concern. Considering the 2014 bowl season, it's not just a USC problem. Even the proud SEC schools got their lunch handed to them this bowl season. I guess scheduling Cal State schools monthly caught up with them. Other than Oregon, TCU, and Stanford, does anyone play sound defense in the NCAA, or do you really think you need to score 60 points to win a game? Can you explain the lack of fundamentally fundamentally sound defense in college football? I like a balance on both sides of the ball, but even in big games this year, we aren't seeing it. Thank you, and fight on from Lamar. Well, you know, I don't want to go back to old uh, uh, quotes, but do you remember a defense wins championships? Uh, I still believe that. I think people enjoy watching offense and all the uh, excitement. I'll, and I'll give you an ex- example of this. I go to the spring practices at different universities, and I'll go to USC spring game. The defense will make a great, great play. Nobody even says anything. 
The offense scores in a big play against the defense. It'll be representing that team. Everybody goes crazy. Yay! Everybody, <laughs> yay! Jerry, well, you know, that's your defense you just beat. The same defense that'll be protecting you and trying to get the ball away from someone else. Defense is what you have to have to get the other team off the field. You might tie 12 games if you go and you don't score in overtime, but you won't get beat. Offense is a crowd pleaser, the excitement of offense and all this and that and the great athletes that play offense. But you got to play great defense. When you play great defense, I'll tell you, you can play. And that's what intimidates people too, but they know that it's going to be hard to get points on you. Hard to get points on you. So if you don't have turnovers and you don't put your defense in a bad field position type of situation, hey, I'm telling you, you can intimidate on defense. You can intimidate. Now, they've changed a little bit where you can't hit with the head and all this and that, which I agree with 100% as far as injuries. But in, on the defensive side of the football, you can intimidate. On the offensive side of the football today, it's hard to intimidate. But you don't see that many teams running student body right and student body left anymore. That's what you call intimidation. When a guy comes up in a corner and all of a sudden all you see is a pair of cleats and you can't find the body. And that's what you call intimidation. You don't see that anymore. It's much. But you can intimidate on defense, and I think great defense does win championships. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. Long podcast segment, for especially for – a non-game week. It's been the most questions I think we've ever had, so it's kind of crazy. And a lot of, like you mentioned, a lot of long questions, uh, long questions too. So, but we appreciate you coming on and, and answering them all. And uh, man, we'll keep them coming. Keep the, uh, keep keep sending us the questions. Podcast at uscfootball.com and Coach Dan and myself will keep answering them. All right, bye, man. Thank you, everyone. Uh, keep the questions coming. Happy New Year to everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Happy New Year to you, Coach. And don't forget, you can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. Thanks so much for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.